This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. It's us. We're back again to talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. That's what we do on this show, as well as over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with these folks that you are about to be introduced to, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can read about the films of the Walt Disney Company, the shorts, the newest DVDs, the newest Blu-rays, what's coming up in theaters, what's out in theaters, anything you want. It's a one-stop shop uh, for resources of the Walt Disney Company in filmed entertainment. Joining me, as always, we have our film experts who will make this a wonderful show full of knowledge and verm and vim and vigor. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is the Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGo in MCO.com. And um, through the magic of time travel, I believe, filmed the Circarama camera. Or built the Circarama camera. Is that correct? Um, that and um, I tested that. And it's also how we got the time lapse photography so quickly. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that recent episode of Doctor Who where he does the same thing. There you go. It, it usually comes back to Doctor Who, Star Trek, or Star Wars in some yes. way, shape, or form. Yes. I got the idea from him. So I'm sure. Well, when you're when you're viewing all of time in one fell swoop, it's easy to get ideas. Indeed. Also joining us, of course, we have Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. And Brie, how many snakes made you jump in this movie? None, actually, because I don't have a fear of snakes. It's a fear of spiders that I have. Oh, so, so you were worse off. Oh, yeah. Every time the tarantula came on screen, I actually covered my eyes. I couldn't. I couldn't take it. Mm -mm. Un yeah, understandable. Yeah. It was creepy. Yep. And of course, we have our producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at Cheryl P three. You can find her at about.me slash Cheryl P three. How are you, Cheryl? Wondrous. Wondrous of life, or just wondrous in, just in wondrous general? Wondrous in general. Okay. Fair, fair enough. So today we are talking about a true-life adventure film, The Living Desert, the 1953 uh, documentary film by Walt Disney Pictures, uh, an Academy Award-winning film, no, no less, the best yep. documentary feature of 1953, the first feature-length film in the True Life Adventure series, which started with Seal Island back in the, in the, in the early 50s and had continued uh, with Disney producing these nature features, and it's one of those things that uh, that folks don't see a lot anymore. I remember growing up, though, like these were on World of Disney all the time. Yes. They've been broken up into various smaller parts, too, and re-released and stuff like that as well. So, Yes, and there's a huge DVD collection of all of the True Life Adventures, four double DVD sets that, that came out in 2000. 2006, somewhere in that range. Yeah, mid middle of the aughts. Yeah, 
uh, where if you want to try and track those down, they, they're no longer out in print, but you can definitely find them if you would like to uh, to see some of these. Plus, most of the True Life Adventures are actually on uh, Amazon Instant Video, which is where I watched this one. I think you guys did as well, right? I think all, all of us did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you, you know what else? Um, this is also the very first Disney feature released by Buena Vista Pictures, right? Correct. By Buena Vista Pictures, yes. Yes. Also the, also the cause for the controversy as to why Buena Vista Pictures was created, the entire True Life series. Yes, it is. Because Buena Vista, uh, the Seal Island short, the very first True Life Adventure, RKO refused to release it. So they, they, Disney decided to release it themselves because they wanted to release it as a short subject, but it was 30 minutes long. Uh, so they ran it in their own way through their own distribution. And yeah, the True Life Adventure series ended up creating Buena Vista Distribution, which is now Buena Vista Pictures that uh, distributes all of Disney's films. Yep. And uh, t- today, this film is honored by being one of only a few films that are – well, not a few, but it's, it's only a few fi- – it's not a large list of films in the United States National Film Registry and it's con- because it's considered culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Ooh. Interesting. That's, that's wordy. Yep. Well, th- <laughs> that's literally – that's their guidelines. Every, every film in it has to fit one or more of those. It, so it, is, it has to f- match culturally, historically, or aesthetically. This one matches all three. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a long, you know, rich history that Disney has with these nature films. You know, they, now they have the Disney nature brand where they put out the films like Earth and uh, what last year's was Chimpanzee, uh, and they did they did Oceans and those sorts of things. And the reason for that is because these films are super cheap to make, relatively speaking, and they tend to be very very profitable, right? Because this film, for example, cost three hundred thousand dollars to make, made two point six million at the box office, so nice nice tidy profit for Disney. Easy yeah, to make, and I think today its total overall profit is five million dollars. So, wow, better than John Carter. <laughs> well, you don't have to pay chimpanzee. You don't have to pay animals to actor salaries. This is a good point. Robert Downey Jr. did not show up in the living desert and command a fifty million dollar check. That's right. <laughs> that would have been really cool, though. I'm just saying. These, <laughs> these creatures got fed with bugs. Yeah, if if Robert Denny Jr. had showed up in this movie, it might have been uh, it might have made more than two point six million dollars or five million dollars in profit. And also chronologically inaccurate. Also true. <laughs> Not with me around. <laughs> Very valid point. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Maybe that's why because they have so many of them die in this particular one because then they don't have to pay them. It could be. <laughs> Although I feel like that's every nature film that Disney released, right? Like even the Disney nature films, it's here is this animal, creature, whatever that we're going to have you come attached to, and it's going to get eaten by something. Actually, I think they were just playing dead, like the zebra in Jungle Cruise. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mere, those lions are merely giving that zebra a bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So uh, – this this film, just like all the other True Life Adventures, for the most part, uh, written by James Algar uh, and Winston Hibbler and a few other folks from the studio. Uh, this was directed by James Algar and uh, narrated by Winston Hibbler, as we said, most of these True Life Adventures were. So that's the team that puts all of this together. And it, if you've seen any of the other True Life Adventures, it follows the 
basic same pattern uh, all of them do, uh, opening with an animation piece that gives you the place and the setting. So this one was in Tucson, Arizona, uh, at the site of what is now the Westward Look Wyndham Grand Resort and Spa. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, offers happy hour five days a week. So just you know, just in case. <laughs> did you go to their website? I did. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a very nice place to go. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I did not see any snakes, tarantulas, or any of those sorts of things featured on the website. I'm guessing it was just an oversight. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it was filmed in Tucson, Arizona. So the the film opens with this animated piece uh, and all of them open with a paintbrush sort of painting the scene and it shows you kind of where where you're going to be settling for the duration of the true life adventure and then the most of them uh, follow this same pattern of you know s- setting the place showing dawn basically and all the animals coming and coming out and doing something and then kind of tracking either seasonality tracking things through the seasons depending on which place they are or in the case of this one tracking you know the animals sort of daily lives through day and night uh, and that's that's the the feature that we get here is tracking the animals through one day it's not actually one day folks but that's the kind of the way they position <laughs> the movie is one one day one night and then the next morning is, is basically how the the film takes place and we get to see all the living creatures, uh, and, and which in this area, which is apparently the backyard of the, of this really nice hotel, which by the way has a very nice pool, as well. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. They have a bar next to the pool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Are you there <laughs> now? <laughs> so unlike most of most of the movies we talk about, there's not necessarily a plot in this one for us to you know kind of go through and look at the themes and characters and those sorts of things. Um, so I can give you the, my daughter watched this with me. I can give you the Lorelei review, which was, it was good, but it had too many snakes. <laughs> that's great. It really only has about a half dozen snakes though. I guess that's probably a half dozen too many for her though. Well, for a, for, yeah, I was going to say for a six year old, first of all, that's a lot of snakes. And for a 60 minute movie, I would say what half an hour of it is snake snake action. Probably, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Although yeah. there are cool snakes in the desert. I mean, and you know, <laughs> well, we're also talking about the United States, which the United States is, has a lot of different breeds of snakes in it. So it's not surprising that they take up a lot of the movie. Yeah. True, but it's it's a lot of snakes. Yeah, is what I'm saying. But what's funny to me is, you know, they, they, like I said, they follow a day and a night. So they have some of the snakes that are out in the day, and they have some of the snakes out at night. The snakes never get anything to eat amongst this. And I, I guess they, ha- they must have been, you know, they must have been conscious of that, because you know some of those snakes actually ate some of the kangaroo rats and some of those things. Or at least the beetles. I mean, uh, like, rattlers eat, like, Hercules beetles and stuff like that, so... Yeah, but there are there is no snake getting getting a meal in this one. In fact, one of the snakes gets eaten by a red hawk. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. I got a snake. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. Can I can I say that was literally my favorite one of my favorite moments in the movie? And I'll tell you why. Because does with the way they're pacing around each other and the music that's playing, does not it ma- make you think of Captain Kirk battling the Gorn in Arena? If if I knew what that was, it probably would. 
Yeah, in the original Star Trek, uh, you have to. I will include the video in the show notes, and you will play this, and then you'll go. Then think back to the the way the hawk is Wait, battling Tyler, the is snake. Is that video PG thirteen? Yeah, it's Star Trek: The Original Series. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. It's all good. It was sixties television. Yep. They couldn't put anything offensive on that. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's when you when you watch it, you'll even see like the movements are the similar, and the music is very similar, and you'll understand completely. And there's people going who have seen this who are going, "Oh my gosh!" right now. And that's <laughs> well, that's one of the things we should note, right? Is uh, the True Life Adventures got their name for being, you know, these time lapse photography features where they follow the different animals around and those sorts of things. Uh, but true life is probably not the best term for what we see in the in these films. Uh, not just the Living Desert, but any of the true life adventures. You know, Disney definitely cut things together and manipulated the the footage to get a, to tell a better story, right? To to basically make a bunch of little short quote unquote cartoons uh, and vignettes out of the footage. So you'll see things like like that hawk and snake battle. It's definitely the hawk battling the snake probably in that scene, but there's other places where they use they run the footage backwards and forwards at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, where they where they cut from one angle to another and it's clearly not the same snake or not the same rat. You know, yeah, those the sorts of things. Scene. Skinny, the rat? Skinny, yeah. Skinny, sorry. Yeah, it looks like there's about three different skinnies. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, Well, you know that a lot of this was not actually shot out in the desert, right? Yes. Please tell me about this because that cracked me up when I read this. Okay, so um, much of the animals were animals that had been captured and been on display in this hotel, which was why they were at this hotel filming it. And what they did is they would take, like, pieces of the scenery from outside and set them up on stages and conference rooms and stuff like that or whatever and, like, film stuff that way. So they'd set up the scenes. Yeah, and you can, like, if you're watching the movie, so I read that before I was watching the movie, you can actually see some of that because, like, you can see the background in one shot, and I forget which one it is. There's, like, a blue backdrop. And you're supposed to think it's the sky, but it's far too blue to be the sky, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like the wall of some, some you know, dance hall or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I was reading um, – There's a. I actually – one of the things I started doing lately is New York Times has started to release a lot of their older articles online. Yeah. So you, can, you can actually find the, the reviews of the time period of this. And so um, the New York Times reviewer Bosley Crowther, who's a very famous – reviewer um he he wrote a lot about it and uh he he focused that he he seemed to really like the movie okay and that's you know and that's fine i mean a lot of people didn't because these movies are not for everyone that's for sure um he said that he thought it was very very smart of disney to have the music and the humor because it helped lighten the extremely heavily morbid mood that the movie has otherwise yes okay so um but he did indicate that it, it does – that and the staging does re- diminish the true life nature of the film, okay? And he specifically references the scorpion dance. Yeah, so let's talk about the scorpion dance because there's a section kind of, what, 20, 20, 25 minutes in where we go through the courtship rituals of different types of animals. So there's a whole thing with turtles, 
uh, where two males fight over a female, and I don't even know that's actually what was going on, but that you know it, it, it was a good story. And then we get this scorpion dance. So it's these two scorpions that come together, and the male scorpion sort of digs under a rock, pull, drags the female scorpion out, locks claws with her, and then they do this quote-unquote dance. So they play this hoedown music. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not even making that up. That's what they're doing. And yes. they run, like I said, they run the footage backward, then forward, then backward, then forward to make it look like they're dancing. Gents to the left, ladies to the right. Now ain't that gal a pretty sight. <laughs> I laughed at this whole scene. I loved it so much. Oh. It, it was very funny. Um, it's... It's it's cute. I mean, the, but that's the point. Is like, I mean, the scorpion. They're making light of the fact that it's probably pretty violent when you consider that the scorpion mating ritual is actually for them to be stinging each other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So to avoid having to actually discuss that, <laughs> they did this <laughs> instead. <laughs> um, but this this is a good point about the true life nature films in general, right? Is that um, they're more about the. Um, excitement and introduction to nature than being true life stories they're not very they're not super educational right right and and that's why after like about 12 of these or 12 or 15 or 20 of these or whatever it was they actually changed it to be true life fantasies right yes okay because of because people kept coming back to the fact that they're like you know dude this is good but you're not like not real yeah, well, they kind of ended up making like a hybrid where they they would tell the story of a, an animal of one singular animal over a period of time. Like there's there's one later on called Perry where they do that, you know, that sort of a thing. Where's Perry? <laughs> an interesting thing about the movie is that the um, origins of it come from a 10-minute short that was uh, created by Paul Kenworthy, who is one of the principal photographers on the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, he showed it to Walt, and Walt loved it. Walt said, "This fits great with what I'm trying to do and trying to bring to documentary films, you know." And he was he was in complete support of it. And he just right then and there, after seeing it, funded the ten minutes. Now, this this piece of film is in the movie, and it's actually the scene where you have the tarantula battling the wasp. Yes, which was very interesting. I did enjoy that. Yeah, the movie has a lot of ebbs and flows, like where it's the animal fighting animal or predator prey sort of thing. That's the majority of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tarantula and wasp battle is probably one of the most, beside the aforementioned hawk and snake, uh, probably the best you know animal versus animal piece of the movie. Um, yeah, the, right. There's the, right. There's those two and um, the kangaroo rat throwing sand on the snake, which I found kind of funny. Yes. Yes, that's the kangaroo rat's way to get a sidewinder snake away from him, is to just bury him in sand. <laughs> it, it really wasn't very believable to me. No. I'm sure it really happens, though, to be honest. It just looked really silly. It did, definitely. Well, and especially because right after that, they had the kangaroo rat's celebration which was so clearly them taking the footage of the kangaroo rats bouncing around and speeding it up that it got even more silly. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. But yeah, so that's, that's basically the three types of, or there's the two types of things. There's the animal on animal 
battle. There's the predator and prey stuff. There's a lot of snakes trying to eat the rats and being foiled. Right. right. There's the example of the snake that that is chasing one of the kangaroo rats and ends up trying. The the kangaroo rat had jumped into the hole of the tarantula, which is featured often throughout the film. And the snake has a standoff with the tarantula because the kangaroo rat left, but the snake could smell that he was there. And I thought that was intriguing, the fact that the tarantula was able to chase off the snake. I wouldn't know. I had my eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, here's the thing, right, is one of the uh, other things that they're trying to do a lot of is they're trying to – not just tell us about the animals and the bugs and stuff, but they're also talking about the terrain and the um, plant life. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought that the Sidewinder scene was very interesting because it was kind of a combination of both, right, in a way? Because it starts out showing us how the Sidewinder moves and leaves the lines. Yes. Okay. Because um, for people who don't know, but, you know, you probably seen the movie by now hopefully by the time you're listening to this um when a sidewinder snake moves it doesn't trail forward it literally moves to the side hence its name but it leaves trails going from you know if, it, if it's moving you know front and back it it leaves trails going left and right instead as it's moving right well at least this Which one was creepy. moving right at least this one was moving right i don't know if they can actually move left this one was moving right I have to think about. I have to think about that. That's one of those unsolvable puzzles of life. Now, well, though, actually, they show us the rocks too, right? The moving rocks. Yeah, the the whole sidewinder thing was very creepy to me. The the sidewinder sneaking around and trying to eat the kangaroo rats. Um, those poor kangaroo rats did not have it easy in this movie. They were constantly being chased by snakes or owls or anything. But they always lived. That was a good thing. Because I was going to be totally distraught had they not lived. <laughs> Same here. Oh. I don't think I could have handled it. It's very it. true. Had one of them died. Nope. Yeah, the only thing that actually gets eaten in this is what? One of the beetles and the snake. The by the hawk. snake. Yeah. Well, we presume, the, we presume the snake by the hawk, right? Because at the very end, you see it carry it into its nest, and that's kind of how the movie ends. Right. But there was there were some interesting like flips of, of what you expect, right? Like the, the tarantula fighting off the snake we mentioned, but then like the most iconic scene from the movie is this <laughs> um, mountain lion cat, basically. Bobcat. Uh, bobcat being chased by these wild boars and being chased up a cactus. I, I never would have thought a bobcat would lose to a wild boar. Yeah, that was an intense scene. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is a—it's uh, the scene that everybody remembers, I think, right? Like, literally, I—I obviously I'd seen this before, probably at least twice before, and I said to Cheryl, "No, I, when he's perched on the one cactus, I said, now watch, it's going to break.' <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I know I know it's going to happen because I've seen it, so." Yeah, which I thought was was kind of weird because I, you, I mean that bobcat was high up, right? I have to feel like he broke one of his paws. Well, I don't know. Cats land on their feet, you know. Toast lands on butter side down, that kind of thing. <laughs> I kind of found myself like rooting for the animals, but rooting for both of them in the battle, so I didn't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> 
just didn't want to see any of them die. You know? I, I was waiting for the pet Avengers to show up. <laughs> oh, yes. Go Throg. Yes, absolutely. Now, so what was everybody's uh, favorite scene from the film? Because, I mean, like I said, it's hard to talk about. There's not really a uh, – it doesn't flow through a plot. It's just, like, snippets of, of characters. But what was everybody's favorite scene? Um, well, mine was definitely in Scorpion Square Dance. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> Gerald? I like the slim, the the speedy, skinny, 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 skinny. Yeah. skinny. Yeah. That's who I liked. Even though he would go from skinny to fat to back to skinny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the skinny scene? We did. Oh, we did. Well, we kind of mentioned skinny. We didn't really talk about yeah. it, but we didn't talk about the squirrels yet. Yeah. Well, they're they're. I don't know what the, they're. Desert squirrels, basically. Yeah, they're just regular uh, ground ground squirrels. I think is what they're called. Yeah, and uh, there's there's a grouping of them. Some of them quite quite large. Actually, most of them quite large. So the the Disney filmmakers basically make out one of them to be sort of the underdog character called Skinny, and they keep flashing on this this character uh, as he kind of tries to get in good with the pack and then tries to help them fend off predators. Uh, and and ends up doing so very well, but like we said, it's basically skinny is like three or four different squirrels that they just whichever they needed for the narrative at the time is the one that skinny becomes. I what, I agree with that. What was your favorite scene, Todd? Um, oh, I like the the end with just because of the the fact that it felt like the Star Trek scene to me. The what I said earlier, the the Red Hawk fighting the, um, oh, the snake. Okay. Yeah. How about yours, Ryan? Uh, for me, it was the when the uh, the mom is chasing the it, it, or the snake is chasing the mom kangaroo rat, and she's trying to get the babies out of the hole. Oh my goodness! I was pretty much screaming at the screen. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the only time I felt like one of the kangaroo rats might actually get eaten. I was like, oh wow, they're going to show that baby kangaroo rat get eaten by the snake, and that's I, I'm going to lose it. Right. I, I, I remember we're talking about stage scenes. This is obviously staged. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, it, because because for again for people who haven't seen it yet is it's like you're looking in the side of an ant farm at the ants, but it's a snake and the rats because you can see the holes that they're crawling through, but you see them from the side, which yeah. right. which a cameraman cannot film. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they had to be like up against glass for that, and it's. It looks it looks cool. I mean, it gets the point across, but it's just obviously faked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the snake and the the snake and the kangaroo rat are never on screen at the same time, so they're they're setting this up as this big chase, but it's not really. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of the cool facts that I didn't really, I guess I never realized before. I mean, like ever knew before was they talk about how. Some of the desert animals have the ability to take what they what they eat and make ter- and convert it into water and store it. Yeah, I thought bodies. that was cool too. I thought that was very cool, especially it was the the turtle, and then um, there was one other one. I can't remember which one it was. I, I think it's also the kangaroo rats. Is it okay? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I didn't even know that that's like something that turtles did with their shells, and they implied, that the, like they applied with the kangaroo rat, they just kind of stored it in their body, I presume, in like the fat content or something like that. But with the rats, with, with the turtles, 
they said it was like a space between their themselves and the shell is where they store it. Mm-hmm. And I, that was just interesting. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the nice thing about these is that you do you do learn some some interesting small little facts like that you know that you probably wouldn't have thought of like like the boulders that move too like that was one I'd never seen before. I didn't even I I still not even try to understand what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. I guess there's some something like you know they something happens and the water dries up and then suddenly the rocks are there. I mean, I, I can imagine that. I have an idea of what it is. I have a feeling that probably when they have those flash floods that they were showing at the end, is the rocks kind of get dragged along and they leave the marks and everything dries up and the marks are left behind. Yeah, that's more what I envision happening than than wind. Because I, I don't believe the rock is being pushed by the wind. That'd be a lot of wind. Indeed. I mean, that'd be basically a hurricane or a tornado. So so let's talk about that. You mentioned the flash flood, which ends the movie. I mean, that was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, because it's basically rushing water just filling the entire desert. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because I think that what it is is, like, Cheryl and I talked about this, and I think what's happening is it's raining in one part of the desert, and then that part of the desert is at a different elevation level than the other. Yeah. Right? Because um, this place that they talk about uh, early on in the movie, the Salton uh, Ocean or something like that, right? Right. Um, the Salton Sea, okay? That's that's a landlocked area, right? Um, and what it is is – I looked this up a little bit. It's, a, it's what's called an endoheric rift which basically just means a landlocked um, body of water that has no outlet, so it doesn't, it doesn't bleed off in, by a river into an ocean or a sea or anything like that. It's just there. And because of the, the, um, the air quality, whether it's hotter or cooler, it determines how much water it has at any given time. I think what was happening is it was – that area is a very, very low area of the desert, okay, if you read about it. And I think that the – place where it's raining is higher so what's happening is what we're seeing this flash flood is all the water running off the one part of the desert into the other but they weren't really clear about that yeah they didn't really explain the phenomena right they just they just showed the water flowing through which is i mean it's definitely one of the choices you could make there right because like you said this is more of a let's expose you to what happens as opposed to let's teach you about why and how and all that kind of stuff yeah exactly it's 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 more just getting the visual points across that to, to make you consider well maybe this is something I do or don't want to know more about. Right. Yeah, but that's it, it, they did choose I think probably the most striking imagery for the ending of the big flood and then the time lapse of showing how the ground sort of breaks and cracks as it dries out. And then they go through the whole thing with the night flowers blooming. I thought that was kind of a nifty thing because they kind of move away from animals for a little bit for the end. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know, the, the blooming flower footage, which is in the majority of these true life adventures, I just always find it strange. Uh, so, again, um, how did they film some of this without, like, destroying the flowers? Good question. I okay, don't know. Because, because there's there's one point where they're actually like showing us the flowers blooming from the inside, 
And we didn't have, like, you know, like, micro cameras back then and stuff like that. I mean, this had to be, like, a big camera lens sitting in the middle of a flower, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It would not surprise me a bit if they had the giant camera lens and they had people literally pulling the flower apart. That may be. I hadn't even thought – I hadn't even considered that as an option. Wow. I didn't either. Well, I mean, like you said, they staged all this other stuff. It, It would not surprise me if that's what they did. But I always find I always find the blooming flower stuff to be weird. It just I mean like everyone knows that this happens and to see it in a time lapse, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of throws off my whole sense of space and time. Yeah, I it's though I mean we keep coming back to the time lapse photography stuff and this film is like a reference point in time lapse photography history. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just – it's something people keep coming back to because it really showed some of the th- some of the things that could be done because really um, Disney himself is, is considered a pioneer in the f- field of you know the nature documentary. A lot of – because a lot of what we see now that are nature documentaries today come from this concept of telling a story while, while showing what you want to show. Like uh, that – what was the whole meerkat – television show Cheryl that you used to like watching Meerkat Manor right that entire show is based on this concept really right this the concept of having a story about something that's going on you know and in, in nature so one of the favorite parts of the movie that I liked also was the symphony of the mud puddles near the beginning yes I, I don't know what else you call it that's what I wrote down as it being the symphony of the mud puddles so I think that they say that in the movie right yeah yeah, yeah. I one of the weird things about it is they kind of play it like um like they're supposed to be making the tuba and trumpet noises. Right. And I don't really buy that, but it was kind of <laughs> cute. I got what they were getting across. It's just I I wonder like so, occasionally you can hear them making the real gloopy gloppy noises. Mhm. Well, it's interesting because the whole movie right like they have the cartoony sort of scores set to all the action. Mm-hmm. And I found myself sometimes having to remind myself that you don't have those in nature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Well, you don't, you don't walk through nature and just hum that stuff in your head naturally. No, no. But I mean, if you like when you're watching the Hawk snake battle, you know what I mean? Like it's, it wouldn't be nearly as dramatic without all the dramatic music. That's true. Music right. always drives the scene. Yeah, so if you were just watching that footage, it wouldn't be nearly as, you know, it'd still be interesting, but it not not the you know the high drama Star Trek death battle that it turns out to be. <laughs> all right. Yeah. But I think all in all, I mean, it's it's a. I've I've seen now um, in in writing for the website and in doing this show. I think I've seen now four of these True Life Adventures. This is definitely the best one that I've seen so far. Um, it had the most interesting uh, most interesting pieces, and uh, I, I hesitate to call it a narrative, but at least you know it was easy to follow, and you wanted to find out what happened next. Um, you know, some of the others, the, like like Seal Island. Nothing really happens except the seals go to the island. <laughs> okay. I I think that um in in my opinion it's probably the one that people remember the most. 
of yeah, them because right. like it, it, it was very it's when people used to talk about the true life adventures you see the pictures of the buffalo and then like you said you see the picture of the bobcat up the cactus yes or you see the hawk i mean and those are like the three pictures that i always think about when i think about tr the true life adventure series mm -hmm. so it's just it's there it's memorable in that in that respect the whole yeah you know, the whole series um oh you know one other thing i, I figured we would mention is um is the ride that used to exist at Disneyland. Oh, yes, the mine train through nature's wonderland. Yeah, where, where one of the scenes was all based on the living desert. It was based on three of the true life adventures, but one of them was this, this movie, The Living Desert. Um, and it doesn't exist anymore, obviously, folks, because it's where Big Thunder Mountain is now. Some of the props from it, though, are in uh, the Disneyland Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. So, yep, what? you can still see where it used to be. Yep, you can. Um, and I, I had been on it because, like, first time I was at Disneyland, that was what was there. Oh, I'm envious. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy the narration to it quite a bit, but I've never, never got to write it. So, yeah, I, there's a YouTube video that somebody's that I'll link to that somebody's photographs to the to the sound of it. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's that's our look at the Living Desert. Um, it's definitely one of those true life adventures, like you said, that everybody remembers. I think this one, um, The Vanishing Prairie and White Wilderness are the ones that, that won the Academy Award. Uh, but this this came first as far as winning for a feature. Um, Seal Island did win for best short documentary feature. So it was a, it was a big award-winning series uh, that, that you've, probably, you've probably seen a bunch of it before, but not – you you might not remember it like like Todd said. I, I guarantee you, some of you folks out there have seen the the cactus up there, the bobcat up the cactus, and some of the buffalo scenes from the Vanishing Prairie, etc. So, all right, so uh, let's rate this one. Bree, you want to lead us off and give us your rating? Sure, absolutely. Um, this is my very first True Life Adventure film that I've seen. Um, I I actually really enjoyed this. The first ten minutes. I was afraid that the rest of the film was going to be like that because of how, you know, it started out very slow and I thought, uh Oh, you know, but then it quickly picked up. Um, loved all the animals. So glad none of them died. Well, a couple of the bugs died, but that's okay. Rest in peace bugs. Um, I love the whole tortoise battle. And, um, as I said, the scorpion square dance, I think we've pretty much covered all the scenes. Um, it's very enjoyable. I think it's generally safe for children to see. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. I'm going to give this one. Uh, the only reason I'm hesitant, you know, to give it a high score is because it's more like a documentary. So you can't really give a valid score, so to speak, on a documentary when there's no plot, really. But um, I mean, for for enjoyment level, I would give it a three, and I, I would definitely watch it again. Fair enough. Yeah, I hear you on the whole plot thing. Uh, you could, yeah, I struggled with it too. Uh, so Todd, you want to you want to take a crack at it? Um, I feel I guess I feel pretty much uh, the same. I'm also gonna go with a three. I mean it's it's not it's an hour long. Some of the things there's pro probably lingers on a little bit too long. I sort of feel, but overall it's not not enjoyable. It's not boring. There's nothing that really puts me to sleep while watching it. I. Despite that there's not – there's just animals on the screen doing animal things, which really isn't necessarily my bread and butter of a movie. I still 
I still enjoyed it. It was fun, you know. Um, I was con- you know conducting through some of the musical numbers, like the like the mud puddle stuff, that kind of stuff. So, and of course the Captain Kirk versus the Gorn. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys and giving it a three. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely not my cup of tea, like you said, Bree. Like I'm not. I don't really like a lot of these true life adventure films. So for this one to be as enjoyable as it was, like you said, Todd, there wasn't anything to really get bored at. There wasn't anything that where you look at it and go, Oh, you know, I don't want to watch this. There's some scenes that drag on a little too long. Um, you know, the, the road runner, for example, that was biting some of the, the, the other characters. I mean, I, I was like, I, that part I didn't care about. And there's a few, few things like that, but you know, in general, uh, I think it's very entertaining and, and very well done, very well put together. So, yeah, I, w- I would also give it a three. Okay. Uh, Cheryl? Um, well, I'm not going to be as kind as you guys. Fair enough. <laughs> I think this goes for a one, one and a half, maybe. Because, I mean, if it did have all this, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, the the equivalent I can give to anyone who didn't see the movie is like you're walking slowly, and I'll put the word slowly, along, like, the jungle trek or something like that in Animal Kingdom. Or something like that. And, or where the scenes are Rafiki's area. And you, let's just say, you must have a, let's just see, you're just watching a screen, and closing the area in Animal Kingdom, and you're watching that for an hour, <laughs> and that's basically what you're getting. And if you didn't have the 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 audio track to go along with this, let's be let's be real. Most of us would have gone after 10, 10, 15 minutes. Very true. Because that's, I mean, because that's, that's what the equivalent is, is you're, you're, you're walking along, you're, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, yes, let's say if it's, let's say you, let's say if it's a creature interesting to you, you might stay a little bit longer, but in general, what, the most you're going to say is 20, 25 minutes? So had it not had the voice track, I definitely think it would have been nothing. I definitely think it would would not have done as well as it, or been as well as it did, or be as, be as good as I think it is. But, you know, I just don't, I mean, I really, I like, I, I like the scenes, but as a movie, which we've been talking about for this podcast, plot, motivation, and conflict, well, the conflict is the weather. I would assume. Um, the, the plot is the animal surviving. <laughs> but there's no... And the motivation is the animal surviving. But, you know, it's not really that much of anything to, like... To say... You know... I wouldn't... I mean, I wouldn't... I would recommend people spend the $2 on it that we paid. I would... I mean... I wouldn't go putting watching this again. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I, I would agree with that. Like, I would definitely encourage folks to watch it, but uh, there's there, there's no characters to latch on to or kind of carry you through a story or anything. It's it's like you said, it's a window into nature, just like if you were staying at Animal Kingdom. This one just happens to be highly choreographed into music. Yeah. 
Also, Cheryl, you made a really good point because the uh, the narrator's voice is one that is very easy to listen to and follow, which does which does do a lot to carry you through the whole hour of watching this. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. All right, so that's our look at The Living Desert. Um, if you guys watch it on Amazon Instant Video or, or elsewhere and you want to comment, you know, make sure you tweet us when the when the podcast comes out and you listen and you watch the movie. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject. Uh, you can also go on the website, DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave us a note in the show notes. Or uh, you can find us on Facebook and let us know what you think there. So just uh, get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show and all the different things that uh, we are doing. So until next week, folks, we will see you later. Lady and gent to the center of the ring. Lock those claws, lift that sting. Three legs up and four legs down. Whirl that scorpion round and round. Ah!